0: Amen. And if you can have a seat and if you want to find your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We are walking through this book. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. I want to tell you that mentors make all the difference. They really can make all the difference in a person's life. They make really all the difference in a church when people value discipleship and mentoring. And that is actually taking place. I want you to know churches thrive. And for me personally, I I think... I am the product of great mentors and disciples. Men who come from a variety of different fields who have invested in me and even continue to do. In fact, I spoke with one of my mentors this week, scheduled an appointment, because there's some things I really want to talk about in terms of next steps. And that's what mentors do. And like for me personally, I've had, I've had businessmen who have been mentors, seminary professors, uh, pastors, missionary. And what they do is they help me grow and to take next steps in my own personal development. Parenting, being a husband. I feel like I'm far better in those categories and those roles because of the mentoring investments. Being a leader and a pastor, I have learned so much. And all I have to do is simply even close my eyes and I can call to mind all these different individuals like Gary, who's with the Lord, or, or Tyler, or John, I mean, or Scott, or Brett. They just, I, I can even hear their voice, just like, how would they handle this situation? What would they do? And some, In many of the cases, I've actually started files, and I've recorded notes of our various conversations, so that I can recall and go back. Because mentors make all the difference. And you're just saying, well, like, but how do they do that? I mean, how does the intentional investment of another individual in your life really makes such a great difference. And that's what we find in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. And the first thing I want to point out to you about how life-giving mentors make a difference is that mentors give us a personal example. And that is what the Apostle Paul is doing in this letter. He's giving Timothy a personal example, but he's call, having him call to mind a way of life, Because Paul had invested maybe up to about 10 years into the development of Timothy, and that's continuing in this final letter shortly before the Apostle Paul is going to be executed. Mentoring, discipling, making intentional investments in the lives of individuals and small groups of people, that is what the Apostle Paul did. And mentors make a difference by giving us a personal example. That's why Paul writes, verse 10, now you followed. Timothy, you followed the pattern that I gave you. You followed my first of all he says my teaching. You see modeling their message is at the heart of good men- mentoring. And Paul is saying Timothy, you know all of my teaching investments that we made. Think of Timothy reading this scroll, receiving this letter and he's he's come, you followed my teaching. It would immediately call to mind all the many times that they would be talking through the scriptures. The Apostle Paul would be highlighting truths of Scripture, how they applied to his life. Do you see this promise here in Isaiah? Do you see how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment? He is that suffering servant. Do you see how this word here helps us understand the greatness and the sovereignty of God? These are God's ways, his compassion, his comfort. And there would be all these different times that Timothy would recall these teaching investments, these private investments. But in Timothy's case, there would be all the different times that he would recall these public messages that Timothy would have heard, where Paul was proclaiming the gospel in synagogues, in street corners, teaching people in different places, locations. Timothy wasn't just tuned out like, oh, yeah, I heard this before, just start playing on my phone, I'll wait till this is over. Uh Uh-uh. No, he made the most of the opportunity, and Paul is calling to mind, you remember my teaching. You also remember verse 10, my conduct. Speaking of my way of life, you know how I handled myself in public, how I interfaced with a wide spectrum of people, whether just kind of daily interactions, teaching large groups of people, establishing churches, proclaiming the gospel, investing in people. You, you saw my public way of life, but you also saw my private patterns. Really, at the, at the heart of great men and women, you're going to find that they've developed consistent patterns Patterns of prayer, patterns of being in the Word, asking God to be their hope, being renewed by the truth of Scripture, being filled with the Spirit. And Paul was saying, Timothy, remember how I lived, whether it be the development of individuals, the proclaiming of the gospel, building churches, establishing elders, remember my conduct. And, and Timothy would be around, he would see, like, when Paul would be angry frustrated, discouraged, uh, perhaps even depressed, like we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And, and Paul was modeling the message. You followed my conduct. And notice what else he said. You followed my purpose. You followed what ultimately drove me, my life's top priority. And, and what was that? What was the Apostle Paul's purpose that Timothy is following? Well, he spelled it out in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Paul simply said this, we proclaim him. Our message is about a person, the Jesus, Jesus Christ. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every person, every man, complete in Christ. The word complete means teleos, meaning fully mature. Not just that they would know about Jesus, know about the gospel, even trust in Jesus, but that they would grow to the fullness of maturity in this relationship with the living God. And he said in verse 29, for this purpose, for this purpose also, I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Timothy, you followed my purpose. Do you see what Paul is doing? You see, we mentor people by giving them a real-life example, showing them what it means to follow Jesus with skin on it. And he, furthermore, he says, and you followed my patience, the enduring of unhappiness or even pain. You followed my faith, that confidence in Christ, that taking God at his word. You see, you and I are called to live by faith, meaning we don't have all the answers. We don't even know how it's all going to work out in the here and now, in this temporal life. But yet, we are trusting in what God has given us in his word. Faith is taking God." word. His word, meaning everything that God wants us to have for life and godliness, to walk by faith he's given us in his word. That means there's going to be some things we don't know, and that's by divine design. There is mystery to our faith, and yet we move forward with a confidence in Christ, and Paul is saying, Timothy, you followed my faith. Furthermore, you also followed my love. You see that? Love, a love for God, which is what fueled the apostle Paul's life. We love because he first loved us. You see, when we realize the loveliness of God, the greatness of his character, who he is, his power, how much he really does love us, when we let that settle into our hearts and bring about renewal, a reviving, what happens is that gets translated for a love for God and a love for others. You will always see it. Where there is a great love for God in an individual, there is going to be a compatible love for others. And Paul is saying, Timothy, you know all about me. You know how the love of God drove me. You know that all these sacrifices that I made for people, the hidden costs of being in ministry, and there's a lot of them, it was motivated for a love for the people sourced in a love of God. You followed my Perseverance. Do you see that? Bearing up under difficulty, fortitude, endurance, and furthermore, he said, verse eleven, "You also followed my persecutions and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me." And so you see, he's what he's doing. He is mentoring Timothy even in this letter, having him call to mind all the different ways that Paul modeled a genuine walk with God, fellowship with Jesus Christ. And he says, and that even led to persecutions and sufferings. And Timothy would be very familiar with this. But it's interesting that Paul references three different cities, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. These were cities that the Apostle Paul visited on his first missionary journey, and the idea of persecution and suffering, well, I want you to know that that 's not just something for the modern age it 's why we 're praying for the persecuted church. I want you to know for two thousand years from its inception, there has been the persecution of believers, heavy duty persecution, so like you 're like, well, what kind of persecutions are we talking about here? Well, at Antioch. That's where the Jews incited uh, devout women of prominence and also leading men, and they instigated a persecution of Barnabas and Paul, and they drove them out of the district. The next one, an Iconium, why, this is where there was an attempt made both by Gentiles and Jews to stone them. And so they were forced to flee. And at Lystra, as soon as Timothy saw Lystra, his heart would sink. Do you know why? Because Lystra was Timothy's hometown. That's where he was from. That's where he met the Apostle Paul. And what happened at Lystra? Well, that's where they actually stoned Paul. And they thought he was dead, and they drug him out of the city. And they supposed that he was dead, but it says in the very next verse, Acts 14, verse 20, the apostle paul got up and he walked back into lystra and you're like what in the world why would he do that where do you find such strength such fortitude such courage here it is it's right there and out of them all do you see that in verse 11 the lord rescued me you see It's out of the difficulties that Jesus sees us through, no matter what you are facing. And as I look around, some of you are going through some pretty significant challenges. Health issues, relationship breakdown, financial problems. And and at times you might think like, oh, I am all alone. And that can just whip you into like a vortex of despair and depression. You know what I'm talking about? I want you to know that you are not alone. The Lord stands with you. He will give you his strength, his courage, the ability to persevere, the willity, ability to go through suffering. Some of you may be taking some heat and finding that there are some challenges of being an open, visible, vocal follower of Jesus, like you're unashamed of the gospel. And there are some folks like, you know what, nah, that's not, that's not uh, liked so much over here. In fact, it's kind of frowned upon this idea that you're a a follower of Christ. I want you to know, no matter what you're going through, it is the Lord who stands with us. Know this, our Redeemer is also our Rescuer. The very same one who has brought about salvation to us, who died in our place, Jesus Christ, who rose again from the grave. This is the good news of the gospel. Our Redeemer is also our Rescuer. And I want you to know that God... He may not deliver you uh, from trouble, but he will deliver you out of it. He'll see you through. And you see what the Apostle Paul is doing? Well, this is what life-giving mentors do. They make a difference because they give us a personal example. And just like the Lord stood with Paul, so Timothy knows, the Lord will stand with me. Let me give you something else about mentors. Mentors make a difference because they guide us with biblical truth. And that's what Paul does in the very next verse, verse 12. He says, Indeed, out of all all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. Whoa! Did you hear that? All who desire to live godly for God, unashamed, unashamed of the gospel, to be done with the chameleon Christianity that I just kind of blended into my scenario... At church, say one thing in public, something else at work, something completely different at school. I'm just matching my scenario, my, my scene. All who del- desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, guess what? You will be persecuted. What is, what is Paul doing here? Why, well, he's presenting biblical truth. That's what good mentors do. Good mentors guide us with biblical truth. And the truth that uh, Paul is highlighting here is exactly what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 20. You remember what Jesus said? He said, remember the word that I said to you, okay? This wasn't the first time. He says, he must have told them on multiple occasions, remember this. And what is it they were supposed to remember? A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We who are Christians, we follow a persecuted Lord, a persecuted master. What do they do with Jesus? Huh, wow, everything. Everything from maligning him, to beating him, to handing him over, to having him crucified. We follow a persecuted Savior. And you see what Paul is doing. He is a good mentor. He's a life-giving mentor because he's telling Timothy, This is the truth of Scripture. You need to know this, especially with the hostilities that you're facing. When he said all, Timothy understood, that means me as well. That means that there may be some times where you're mistreated, misunderstood, or maligned. But Paul is a good mentor, a life-giving mentor, and he's guiding him with biblical truth. And there's one other thing that that life-giving mentors do. You see it in verses 13 and 14, and that is they guard us, from being deceived. He goes on to say in verse 13, "But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived." You see what Paul is doing? Every single chapter in this letter, he is highlighting the fact that there are those who are impostors, there are those who would seek to derail Christians, if possible even discourage or bring about defeat to a guy like Timothy. And he says, you need to realize this, that there are evil men and imposters. And that word imposter has the idea. It could also be translated like swindler or even a sorcerer. And notice what he says. They're going to proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. They themselves have been deceived but they're sincere in their deception, and they're seeking to bring others to it, and it's going to get increasingly worse. And that means that for 2,000 years, there have always been false teachers, always been deceivers, but it's going to get continually worse. And so when you come from 2,000 years into the future, our present time, false teachers, why, they're going to be very sophisticated. They're going to be very attractive, very alluring. They're going to come across as deeply spiritual, some will come across as scholars, others are going to be experts at communication, and they can weave like a web and simply draw you in, like almost you don't even know what's happening to you. And they will have, and today, they have a universal audience, a global one with the internet. they They can actually connect with anybody. And he says, Timothy, you need to understand That they're going to proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you, however, you're different. Do not be led astray. You, however, verse 14, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. See what he's saying here? He's basically saying this. The best defense is a strong offense. The best defense is a strong offense. If you don't want to be led astray, you need to learn how to stand strong. And what Paul is doing is saying, Timothy, call to mind those people that have invested in you. Certainly that would be the Apostle Paul. But I also think he is particularly focusing on Timothy's grandmother and his mother. You remember we've encountered them uh, before. He's, remember he said in verse 5, for I am mindful of the sincere faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that is in you as well. He had learned the truths about Christ. He had learned the power and the truth about his, the word of God from his grandmother and his mother. In fact, we can see that in the very next verse. Look at verse 15. He says, And that from childhood... You've known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And so what Paul is doing is saying, Timothy, you need to call to mind. This is the regular pattern of healthy believers. Call to mind the investments that have been made in you. Think back to when that foundation was laid with your mother, your grandmother, all that they taught you, my personal investments. And the same is true for us. We need to, at times, retrace our steps, especially if you think you've lost your way or you're discouraged or you don't want to move forward or you're looking to give up. Retrace your steps. Think about those who made those investments in you, whether it be a parent or a grandparent. Maybe you got a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it, was a, maybe it was a coach, one of your coworkers, maybe a pastor. Maybe it was at a particular school and like, wow, that was just such a great time in my life. I really was growing in my faith Remember the investments that were made and move forward. Retrace your steps. And see what Paul is doing? He's doing what good mentors do. He's making relational and intentional investments. You see, when we talk about mentoring, what really comes to your mind? What what immediately just comes like, oh, when I think of mentoring, I think of maybe like architects because architects spend a lot of time being mentored, right? Or maybe you think of like medicine, like doctors are mentored by seasoned doctors, and it's a lot of training and a ton of hours. But they, they're dealing with life and death matters. Better get it right, right? We think of mentors in business, right? Learning, growing, developing, investments being made. But what we oftentimes fail to recognize is that God intended his people to disciple and mentor Others, remember Jesus said, "You're to go and make disciples of all the nations." And to tell you, remind you of our definition of discipleship is simply this: it is the intentional and relational process of maturing Christ-centered believers and mobilizing them for ministry. Mentoring is an aspect of discipleship. It's kind of like taking it to the next level. To give you a definition of mentoring, it's this: it's the intentional and relational process of a capable individual developing the abilities and character of a person who desires growth. And you almost always find that people that are making the most of their potential, of their opportunities, of their life, why they've got a mentor in their life. They realize the value, and they come to a place where they themselves have not only grown, but they seek to do the same with others. Shouldn't surprise us because knowing Jesus leads to an other-centeredness in life, a kingdom mindset on his priorities. So let me give you some people that uh, you know, but you may not have known this about them. Like, for instance, NFL quarterback Aaron Rodgers. He's a different cat, okay? He's, He's an extremely good athlete. But Aaron Rodgers, perhaps one of the best pro football players of all time, says this, I love being coached. I love talking football with smart coaches. I love the input, the dialogue, the conversation. His former head coach, when he played for the Packers, Mike McCarthy, said this about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron is a really good student. He wants to be coached, and he likes to be coached hard, and I'm sure McCarthy could give it to him. But you see, he valued that because he wanted to be everything he could be. Let me give you another person you're probably familiar with, Steph Curry. Know him? He's perhaps arguably one of the best players in the NBA. One of his coaches said this of Steph Curry. He is the most educable player I have ever known, both in terms of his willingness to listen and his ability to absorb and execute. You know what that's called? That's called teachability. You not only hear what the coach says, but you're able to implement it and put it into play and he makes it look so easy it's like wow well, he's just having such a great time out there and he's just how does he make that all happen i want you to know he's highly trained and he's always listening to his coach he is always being mentored and i want you to know that god desires that the people his people are maturing and growing being mentored being discipled having our attitudes actions our words our ministry and just like being changed and just like a coach is looking to bring about growth and development, to increase skills, I want you to know that's what is to take place in a church. When mentoring is taking place, when people a little farther down the road are turning around and making investments in others, guess what? Churches thrive. Lives just kind of like step forward. It's those conversations. It's teaching. It's doing life and ministry together. And really, it takes this, it takes an individual who's capable and willing, meaning they have some experiences, they have growth in their life, and they're willing, willing to walk by faith, willing to trust, to make an investment, because it also takes someone who wants to grow, and is willing to ask, and wants to take steps forward. It always takes two, if you, you can't have just one or the other, and you're like, okay, So, like, what do you talk about? Like, what what do you actually discuss when you talk about, like, mentoring? Well, pretty much anything under the sun is available. But I'll give you some ideas, topics to cover, like teaching, leading, how to shepherd people, relationship skills. Pretty sure we all could grow in that area, right? Forgiveness, time management, effectiveness, efficiency, counseling, problem solving, goal setting, vision casting, planning, implementing change. Um, assessing lessons, discipling believers. You see, there is all these different areas where where we could grow. In fact, sometimes it's glaringly obvious that we need to grow, and that's where a good mentor could step in for a season of time. And so when you're mentoring someone, let me give you what I'm going to call the head, heart, hands, hope approach to holistic growth. Or you could think of it as the four H's. This is what I think about, and this is what you want to think about as you're mentoring an individual. First of all, focus on the head. This begins with the what. It's the what is the topic? What is the growth step? What is the change that we're looking for, the skill that needs to develop, or the the approach that we're going for? Second, then, focus on the heart. This has the idea of the why. Why is this important? Why is this change or this skill needed? And so you talk about that. And then you focus on the hands. This is the how it is practically accomplished. So you're looking at, okay, where we're at, where we'd like to go, what are the next steps to take? You're helping the individual process that, talk about that, and to take those steps. And then the final one is hope. What you're doing is you're instilling just how hopeful we can be. When these changes are brought about, this development takes place, this skill is acquired, you're going to be better equipped to handle your role, whether it be in business, in the church, at home, with your spouse. Uh, And I want you to know that hope is so very powerful. In fact, the best mentors instill hope. In 1997, there was a teacher, a sixth grade teacher by the name of Judith Tonsing. In one of her sixth grade students' report cards, she wrote this to Kristen. She wrote, You know, it's been a joy, Kristen, to have you in class. Keep up the good work. Invite me to your Harvard graduation. Whoa. Well, 21 years later, Kristen Gilmore, age 33, She graduated with her doctorate in public health. And guess who she invited and made sure was there at that Harvard graduation? Any guesses? That's right, her sixth-grade teacher, Mrs. Tonsing. And she spoke of what that teacher meant, all the investments that she made when she was a sixth-grader. And she made this statement, and I, I love it. She lit a fire in me. That's what a good mentor does. They're not just informational. They're inspirational. They're making investments, showing a path of possibility. What does it look like to trust God, walk by faith, overcoming failures, lessons learned? That's what they do. And you're like, man, this whole mentoring thing sounds good, but I'm really inadequate. Like if you only knew how inadequate I am. And I want you to know something. Your inadequacy, that's not the issue. Right? We're all inadequate. And oftentimes, we feel inadequate. But like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, you might want to write that down. Our adequacy does not come from ourselves. Our adequacy comes from God. So what we want to do is find our place as a mentor. And the place is just a very simple acronym to focus on five traits. And you're going to find that these five traits, they'll not only make you a good mentor, you're going to find this really helpful and just being a friend or a parent. First of all, you need to be a P for personal confidant. You want to build bridges of trust. You are someone that can be trusted. You also then, L, want to listen carefully. Listen to what the person is saying. Don't do all the talking. Listen. Listen to what they're not saying. What are their values? What are they really struggling with? Be empathetic. Let them know that you're paying attention. A, ask good questions find out ask probing questions questions like hey what do you think the root cause is what are you learning what what do you think god is teaching in here what is what is this one barrier that you just are just struggling to to overcome what are you grateful for and when you're asking questions you're doing so not as someone who is interrogating someone but you're investigating you're drawing someone out c is for coach for growth That's what mentors do. They are like looking at what are the next steps to be considered, then talking about why this is important, and then how it can be accomplished. It's the 4-H way. And that means when you're coaching for growth, sometimes you're going to have to actually raise a challenge. When you see something concerning or they're going in the wrong direction, you don't stand by like, well, this is going to be a train wreck. i will see what happens here. No, you're like, hey, have you really considered That if you continue on this path, what's going to happen? No? Well, let me give you a few ideas. You know, like this could lead in absolute disaster. You care enough to express concern. You're coaching them. You want to see them succeed. And E then is encourage the heart. Love gives life. You help them develop a confidence in Christ, a faith that God is at work, recognizing we all face difficulties and discouragements, right? Those killer Ds. I want you to know a good mentor has a way of just helping you really see that all things are possible in Christ. And if let me tell you how to be someone that really makes the most of a mentoring relationship. There's a lot of things that could be said here, but first of all, you need to ask thoughtful questions. You need to, second of all, be teachable. That means that you can listen, that you can implement what is being said. And the third thing is you need to be thankful. Gratitude is going to bring a lot of growth. But if we're going to make the most of our lives, if Fellowship Bible Church is going to thrive as a church, mentoring needs to have a role. There's a distinguished Harvard surgeon and author named Atul Gawande, and he writes in his book that everyone needs a mentor. And in his book, he writes of his experience that he had been a very successful surgeon for about eight years, but he had noticed that he had kind of plateaued as a surgeon. One day, he was at a medical conference. Uh, after they had gone through their meetings, he had the afternoon off, and he, because he was an avid tennis player, really wanted to play some tennis, tried to find someone, ended up at one of the tennis clubs there, and they said, well, if you want to play tennis, uh, what you need to do is you'll need to pay to have a lesson with one of our pros, and so... He's like, okay, not what I had in mind, but sure enough, okay, and he did, and he paid to meet their tennis pro, who turns out to be a kid in his early 20s. Now, this particular kid had played on his college team, and so I guess this is what we're doing here, so they're kind of hitting some balls, and he said, first, uh, this college kid took it easy on me, but next thing you know, he had me running all around. Then he said, well, why don't we work on our serve here? And so he had him serve a few times, and then the pro said, hey, you know, I think I could help you really improve your serve. And this surgeon kind of was taken aback because the serve was the best part of his game. But he said, hey, let me show you. Your, your right foot is dragging a little bit. In fact, both of your feet aren't under you when you actually serve. And so he tweaked some things a little bit. He says, this kid added about 10 plus miles per hour on my serve. And then he said, it wasn't long after that that I was watching tennis and one of his, his favorites, tennis star Rafael Nadal. And he was watching him play in a tournament and then whoa. That's right. Rafael has a coach. And this coach was pointing out what he could do to improve, what he was doing right. And it just kind of hit him. Here I am. I'm a a surgeon. And like every elite tennis player, every elite athlete has coaches. But here I am a surgeon. And I've never once thought to ask or maybe even pay for some other surgeon to help me get better. And then he makes this statement. Mentoring and coaching operates from the premise that no matter how well-prepared people are in their formative years, listen, few can achieve and maintain their best performance on their own. You know who knew that? The Apostle Paul. And that's why he is writing this letter. That's why this passage is so important. You see, mentors make a difference by intentionally investing in others. You see, we need difference makers. And the question I'd like to ask you is will you be a life-giving mentor? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, you give us such great clarity. You call us into the depths. And you show us that through relational investments, knowing each other, being poured into, and pouring into others, God, faith thrives, your people grow and develop. We become everything we should be in Christ. For someone who has never truly become a Christian, never truly trusted Christ, would they... But they pray with me now and say, God, I I turn from myself and my selfishness and my sin. This morning, I put my faith in Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected on my behalf. God, would you help us grow? These patterns of discipling and mentoring, God, would you help us thrive? May these be the ongoing realities, the common everyday practices of our church for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to show you a video of a guy in our church who has understood the power of being mentored.